Greetings. Welcome, everybody, to our online midweek teaching series that we're calling A Path Forward. Today, we're continuing in that series um, with a teaching that I'm calling Siblings. We'll be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. My name is DJ Martin. I'm the church pastor here at Parker Ford Church. It's great to have you with us. Whether you're a member at Parker Ford or just coming across this online, welcome, and we're glad to have you on the journey. Before we jump into the teaching today and into the text, let's pray together and invite the Lord and the Holy Spirit to teach us through his word. Heavenly Father, we come before you today anticipating that you will speak through your word. You've been speaking through this sermon for over 2,000 years, shaping lives, and this is, this is the seminal teaching of what it means to live in the kingdom of heaven today um, here on earth, and so let us take this to heart and truly live it out um, through your power, through your spirit, by abiding in you. Let me pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have, I have two younger sisters. I'm the oldest in my family. I have two younger sisters, and they're both beautiful young women, um, and I'm so thankful to have sisters as a man in modern American culture because um, our culture is so oversaturated with lust and with twisted sexuality, twisted, twisted erotic love, and pornographic images, pornographic content. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And it's so, uh, so difficult to avoid. It's so difficult um, to, to not come in contact with. We need a path forward because as a culture, we are stuck. We are so stuck when it comes to how we view human sexuality and the human body and its inherent value and how much lust controls us. Why I'm saying I'm so thankful for younger sisters is because probably as much as anything else, what the Lord has done through me having sisters is it's taught me how to appropriately view people of the other sex because I would never look at my sisters inappropriately. And I know, I know even that can be twisted and happens, but I, I would, I would ne- hope to never ever view my sisters in any kind of inappropriate way. They're, they're my sisters and I love them as sisters and that's how I view them and that's how I see them. And I think what Jesus does is by bringing us into his family, he teaches us to view one another as siblings, primarily as siblings, and that is a path forward. Hang with me and we'll see this. Just once again, by way of reminder for the context, Jesus' first sermon, his first teaching is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what he's doing in the Sermon on the Mount is he's teaching us how to live as if this is true, how to live with the reality that God's kingdom is here and it can be held, it's at hand. I touched on this verse last week in John 2 after the wedding in Cana where Jesus changed the water into wine. It says, Jesus did not entrust himself to the crowds or to the people because he knew all people. Verse 25, it says, and he needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. And Dallas Willard says this, when Jesus deals with moral evil and goodness, he does not begin by theorizing. He plunges immediately into the guts of human existence. Raging anger, contempt, hatred, obsessive lust, divorce, verbal manipulation, revenge, slapping, suing, cursing, coercing, and begging. It's the stuff of soap operas and the daily news and real life. And I would add, it's the stuff of online content. It's the stuff of TV. It's the stuff of our culture. 
Today, um, last week we looked at anger and rage. Today we're looking at lust and divorce. In Matthew 5, verse 27, Jesus says this, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, so here he is again, offering us an alternative way. You've heard it said this, don't commit adultery. But I say, I'm offering another path forward. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What Jesus is saying once again, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago too, Jesus is interested in an inside out righteousness. He's more concerned about what's going on within the motives, the intent, the heart, than he is with the external righteousness, the external acts of good that we do. He, he's concerned within here, in our soul, our spirit. But I say to you, he says, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now, theologians and Christians have debated about the seriousness of this. How, how much was Jesus saying? And f- have fallen on different sides of the spectrum throughout church history. A famous church father, Origen, one of the first church fathers, mutilated himself to keep himself from sexually sinning. So, and he's not the only one through church history who has done that sort of thing. And some theologians would argue that's literally what Jesus is saying. If you are unable to control your lustful desires, pluck your eye out to make yourself stop. There's another school of thought that's, um, and Dallas Willard contends for this in the Divine Conspiracy. He's saying Jesus is showing the ridiculousness once again of these external acts of righteousness. And so here Jesus is being sarcastic. He's saying that's impossible because of what he's talking about is the inner heart. Whatever Jesus is saying here, um, what I would, would put forth today is that Jesus is telling us to live um, in such a way that we are walking in his footsteps, that, that we are choosing to see others as image bearers, not um, through the lens of trying to get what we want out of people, which is what pornography is, which is what lust is, but rather that we are serving others and thinking of them more highly than ourselves. The go- golden rule, which also comes from the Sermon on the Mount, comes to mind here. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Do you want someone to look at you primarily as an object that they can take something from, or do you want something, someone to view you as a human a person with inherent value and worth. Of course, that is what you desire. Of course, that's what I desire. And so in the same way, Jesus is saying, this is the type of way that we are supposed to treat one another. And men who had immense power in this culture over women, he's saying to them, it matters not only that you don't commit adultery, it matters how you view and think of women. And that certainly applies in both directions with both sexes today. He goes on to say in verse 31, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Later in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 19, there's a debate about divorce. And the Pharisees challenge Jesus. They say to him in verse 3 of Matthew 19, the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause. Jesus answered, have you not read that who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. 
What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. What Jesus does here is he takes it back to the creation mandate. He says, in the beginning, it was not so. In the beginning, even though Moses allowed for divorce, in the beginning, it was not so. Because in the beginning, God created the male and female image bearers of God meant to cohabit the earth and dwell in such a way together that they would glorify God through their love and their goodness together, which was a reflection of God. God's love and goodness. I think this applies not only to the divorce conversation, but also to how we view one another, how men view women, how women view men, and how all of this happens. In the beginning, it was not so. This is where it comes back to this idea of siblings. Viewing one another as sisters and brothers in the kingdom of heaven offers us an alternative path forward, when we can learn to view one another primarily through the, the, the lens of sisters and brothers, it opens for us an alternative way of living where not everything has to be hypersexualized, not everything has to be awkward or tense because we're dealing with brothers and sisters. The term adelphos or brother occurs 127 times in Paul's letters and 317 times in the New Testament. The term adelphe or sister occurs 26 times in the New Testament. If the second term always refers to a female, the first term, Adelphos, especially in Paul's letters, means both brothers and sisters. And many of our English translations will translate the word as brethren or as brothers and sisters because of this. That is, the term is used for the whole congregation of Jesus' followers. The term occurs 271 times in the New Testament as a non-gendered metaphor, which is our concern. And that's enough to show that the idea of siblingship is the dominant self-understanding and self-designation of the church. Let me say that again. The idea of siblingship, of us being brothers and sisters, is the dominant self-understanding and self-designation of the church. Paul was nurturing sibling relationships when he formed his mission churches, and we need to bring siblingship closer to the heart of our vision of the church. This comes from Scott McKnight, New Testament theologian, from his book, Pastor Paul. Did you hear this? What's most important, he's saying, is that in the kingdom we view one another not just as opposite members, members of the opposite sex or different or persons um, or, or co-students. Um, that's all important, co-disciples. But the dominant image of the New Testament is that we're brothers and sisters. So today, as you read Matthew chapter 5 through 7, how do you view other members of your community? your spiritual community, your physical community, or your online community? Is the primary lens through which you view others that of siblingship? Because I think it should be. The primary lens should be brothers and sisters. This is what the New Testament teaches us and offers us. And how does this teaching, viewing one another as brothers and sisters, offer us a path forward where we no longer, because of the cleansing righteousness and goodness and work of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ in our lives, we no longer have to lust after one another inappropriately. We no longer have to degrade one another. We no longer have to demand things from one another in such a, uh, a dominating, domineering way. Rather, we can serve one another. Remember, as it says in Matthew chapter 20, the Son of Man came not to serve, or not to be served, but to serve. And among us, Jesus said, it's to be the same way. We came not, we live in him not primarily to be served. In other words, our primary posture is not, what can I get out of you? What can I take from you? How can I view you to meet my needs? 
Rather, the path forward that Jesus has offered us is this, that Jesus has redeemed me so that I may serve you and in so doing may serve him. So brothers and sisters, may you take great joy in being servants of the living God today. May you view one another as brothers and sisters. May we live as siblings in the family of God. And may this teaching be a path forward out of the gridlock of our culture to us today. I pray that this is a blessing to you, encourages you, and strengthens you. Have a wonderful day in Christ.